Reconstructionist Radio presents The War Room, where we discuss tactics for strategic Christian living. Mighty Lord, extend your kingdom, be the truth with triumph crown. Let the lambs that sit in darkness Welcome to the War Room. This is Bill Evans in Casa Sanchez, Waco, Texas. We've had a busy weekend of the Ecclesia, acting like the Ecclesia. We've had a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Worship, intercession, iron sharpening. We've talked about everything from firearms to survival to evangelism, kingdom building, abolitionism, uh, taking dominion in our locales. I've got with me pastor jason garwood jason welcome to the war room hey bill good to see you again it's been an awesome weekend i would say i think you you tried to sum it up but you can't even almost describe it in words Uh, the bond of peace between brothers and spiritual unity uh it's been a huge blessing this has been like a who's who we've had you know, everybody through the house seems like this weekend, Martin Brady, Colin Gunn, Bo Marinoff, uh, and we had our little confab of the Reconstructionist Radio Board. And The fellowship was great. The food was wonderful. Uh, shout out to Joe Salant for all his hard work. He did a great job feeding an army yesterday. The, the big takeaway for me was the issue of form and function. What's what is the form of the church? What is the function of the church? And why is that a confusing thing? Why, why are we, what's the relationship between the kingdom of God What's and, and the church itself? Stephen Perks's book, uh, The Nature and Purpose and Function of the Church, I, can, I think that's the title. I may have butchered that, but is very good on this. He delineates between the church as in, you know, the elect of God for all time, all history, uh, the church, um, those who are alive right now, the and then, of course, you have the institutional church, the, the public cultus, he calls it. Mm-hmm. What we witnessed this weekend was that the church of Jesus Christ, the regenerate of God, who care about the kingdom, who want to live kingdom principles, that's the, that's, the church exists for the kingdom of God. In Rush Juni's language, it's not a terminal institution. It is, uh, it's an equipping institution. We are, we are supposed to equip people for the work. So, man, Bill, we've talked about everything this weekend. I, I don't think uh, praying over and over together, fellowshipping, eating, uh, crashing here at Casa Sanchez. Um, huge, huge thanks to uh, all, all the wives and the kids were a blessing. Um, but we've talked about everything from tactics for political strategy uh, here in Texas, uh, learning the scene of uh, with HB 948 last year and what's what the future is like. Um, so when, when you say, you know, the weekend was a blessing, it it was church. We had church here. Um, we had, we had all the, all the marks of it. Fellowship. um, The only thing I think we didn't have, I just got to think about nobody, nobody got in the pool. So we had no baptisms per se. Although I think there was a lot of baptism of the Holy Spirit going on. The other thing we didn't actually have, we didn't actually have bread and wine as a, in a formal celebration of the of the Lord's Supper as it's typically practiced in liturgical settings, but but we certainly had a lot of food, and it was all 
fellowship. It was all towards building and bonding and strengthening the ties that bind and yeah. making new friends, meeting new people. A lot of people came in that we had only known from Facebook. and The church may not have a particular liturgical form. But if it's true that we have one spirit, one baptism, and so on, the unity of the faith, we, we talked about that a lot this weekend, then that's not rooted in the institution. That's not rooted in the form. Mm-hmm. The, the power serves the function. Uh, and when people who are very conscious of, of certain rubrics of, of liturgy that sort of legitimize the form and the offices and what you call what you're doing while you're doing it, I'm okay if you want to defend that. And then you got three guys that are on a construction site just bowing their heads and praying to God. Uh, one of them, heaven forbid, praying in tongues right. over the tailgate of a pickup truck. <laughs> and they're taking dominion in their workplace and in their community. And you, with all your liturg- liturgical form or not, right. I'd say which one is effective? Which one is actually you know, doing the work of the kingdom. I'd say it's those three guys praying together over their lunchbox at the tailgate of a pickup truck. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's the dominion mandate, right? That's the covenant. Yeah. Uh, That's another thing we covered this weekend. A lot about the dominion covenant is a tangible, palpable, you can touch it, flesh and bones thing. Economics, business, being an entrepreneur, you know, all of those things. Uh, So that time, yeah, that... Being on the work site, praying, fellowshipping, breaking bread together, providing for your family, investing in business. Solving real problems right. in the community. You know, I would say, ask yourself, uh, one, of the key, one word that kind of jumps out is relevance. You know, if you've got a community that is, you know, you've got a crime problem, you've got a delinquent teen problem, an unwed pregnancy problem, you've got an uh, 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 economic depression problem, and you've got a church, so-called, in that community that just does their weekly routine, right, song and dance on Sundays, but they're not addressing any of those problems. They have no boots on the ground as Joe Salant would say, right. the, the ecclesia in that setting that's not engaged and not providing real-world solutions to these problems, they're irrelevant. Yeah. And, and frankly, to, if, you, if you basically pervert the gospel of the kingdom to the extent that it becomes irrelevant, then you've done a greater disservice to the king than the people who don't even believe in him. Yeah. The power, the power religion will not work. If you want to be great, Jesus said, you, you got to serve. Mm-hmm. And so that's what the church, you, you quoted the Ephesians 4 passage. If Ephesians 4.12 is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the works of service. Mm-hmm. That's our job. And, and we perpetuate this ministry industrial complex when we think the institution is the end game, that, that our worship service is the point of it all. You know, I've always wondered, of course, I, I, I grew up in a Roman Catholic family, but I can remember as part of the Roman Catholic liturgy every, uh, quote-unquote, Holy Thursday before Good Friday, that the parish priest, they would have a foot-washing reenactment. Mm-hmm. That's part of the Catholic uh, annual liturgy. And 
of course, it's all stylized, and and, and and the last thing anybody wanted to come in was going to have their feet washed would have dirty feet. They had to make sure their feet were cleaned and perfumed before they ever got there because, Lord forbid, the priest actually had to clean feet. <laughs> yeah. But 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 the point is, is I've always wondered when, when our Lord initiated, he gave us that example. Why? And he did this on the same night that he broke bread and and and, and, and pronounced the, the covenant in blood and I've always wondered why was the church, why did the church pick up one and adopt one as an abiding ordinance, but they didn't pick up the foot washing. Mm. I'm thinking, what is what's up with that? What, you know, and now Christ washing the foot feet, I don't think is meant to be repeated literally where people come to the church with dirty feet and have more. So there was a cultural context for that. People traveled and in the roads and all that. But it was also indicative of servant. Right. Form and function. Yeah. So I would say that that service, you know, he who will lead must be the servant of all. That is sort of a metaphor, a metaphor for really the work of the body, us serving and loving one another and us serving even our enemies and right. those around us, I would even say that the same thing is that, well, if that's metaphorically, is metaphorical, could you say that the actual Eucharist celebration, the bread and the wine, hmm. was metaphorical? In other words, I'm, I, Lord forbid, I don't want to say anything heretical here, <laughs> but could instead of, instead of bread and wine, which were the staples of their diet, Lord forbid, could we have breakfast burritos and coffee? Mm-hmm. And breaking bread together as we give thanks is—is is that a meal of the Lord? Is Christ in our midst through the Holy Spirit, where mm-hmm. two or three are gathered, have in the IHOP, yeah. and we bow our heads together? That is a celebration of our union with Christ and His presence with us. Yeah, we we are functionally. So, uh, so maybe we had communion all weekend. Huh? We uh, we did. It was like the big <laughs> communion festival. <laughs> well, it's the it's the idea of we, we are so much. The evangelical church is so much a gnostic, you know, neoplatonistic problem because we have a faith for all of life. That's what that's what Reconstructionist Radio is all about, right? We want to teach people kingdom principles, faith for all life, strategy, tactics, everything. Uh, but you can't set up a false dialectic where you have, on the one hand, this is our worship, these are, these are the forms, and then the function. Well, you know, we, we'll get around to it. Uh, flew into Dallas. Joe Salant picked me up. I'd never been to Dallas, and I knew there were, you know, mega churches everywhere. I, didn't, I felt like Paul in Athens. The city was full of idols. I couldn't believe, that, you know, the size of these buildings, millions and millions and millions of dollars, right? Talking with Todd Bullis, 30,000 churches in Texas, 13,000 foster care kids need to be adopted. Why isn't that problem solved? It should take about 10 minutes to you know, deliberate on this and fix the problem immediately. But So we're, we're, we're dualists, sadly. The church in America is kind of like home decor. It adorns your home, but it just doesn't really affect anything. Uh, I don't know. That, maybe I don't mean to get off on a rabbit trail, but the point is, is that all the form and the trappings and the elements that make up the practice of Christianity in the in public, in the corporate as- assemblies, yeah, 
is irrelevant. All the you know, truthfully, if the rapture did occur and all the Christians were taken out, I don't think it would change much. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anybody would miss them. I don't, yeah. Wait, who's who's missing? Who's gone? The the Yeah. You interviewed Sunday and Elijah and his book Church Shift and the Kingdom Principles. I've been thinking, along with our, our folks at Cross and Crown in Northern Virginia, how do we how do we become the conduit? How do we uh, uh, we, we exist to serve the kingdom, the the Church of Jesus Christ? That's the that's the point. We, we have a great commission, right? That we've been told what to do. We've been given the tools for dominion. Jesus is seated on high. He's ruling and reigning. The tomb is empty. Get to work, right? Pick up a shovel, dig something. Um, so we, we have to remember constantly that our task is not to serve ourselves. We don't exist. You know, the local church does not exist for the sake of itself. It exists for the sake of the world, for the kingdom. So practically, yeah, that work of abolition. Uh, we've talked a lot about um, speaking with some of the things Tim Yarbrough and those guys have done. How do we uh, how do we make disciples out of uh, guys who are out on parole? How do we how do we tangibly serve the kingdom in that way? Because um, we know we're not gonna we're not gonna fix where we're at overnight. Um, but we we want to abolish things and we want to demand it and we want to be after it. But um, we cannot concern ourselves with ourselves. If the ecclesia is going to be effective at addressing the wide range of issues where the light of the gospel and the constraints and the structure that the law of God provides for society. If, if, if the church is going to be effective, because there's so many issues, and these issues are very diverse, mm -hmm. people who think church leadership, I'm using air quotes, leadership, right, has got to get much, much better at realizing that their job is not to do the work of 10 men. Their job is to train 10 men to do the work. They've got to get much, much better at delegating, at not trying to micromanage, mm -hmm. not making sure that everything that gets done has to go through them for approval and blessing. They've got to learn to trust people. They've got to learn to have faith that the Holy Spirit is able to lead people into all truth mm -hmm. and that they have to be much more concerned with the calling of the people that are in their care than their calling. Yes. Their calling is to help these people identify their calling and to equip them with the tools to go out into that area of calling and to take dominion and to take the gospel of the kingdom into that area mm -hmm. and so we talked about this earlier is that the but the problem is is that the church is not supposed to be a magnet it's supposed to be a conduit it's not supposed to be like flypaper people come into the church they can't they can't they're stuck no, they can't to leave right uh, the, the idea is it's a place it's like nobody joins the marine corps so they can stay in boot camp come back to boot camp every sunday for the rest of their life yeah uh, they come into boot camp for an intense eight, 12 week training. Then they go to their specialty school, their A or C school. And then they go, they get sent out. They go out to the fleet. They go out into the world to, to do things with those, those skills. And so I, I appreciated so much what, uh, Bo, back, hearkening back to the future of Christian conferences, 
where he talked about, you know, he's always talked about the church as a social order, the, the church as a university, that the church as a place where people want to get answers about how to fix things, yeah. uh, how to, to fix the things that need to be fixed. That they come to the people of God. They say, let's go to the Christians. They'll know what to do. Yep. We say resistance is futile, right? Because, I mean, we're, we're post-mill. We're black coffee post-mill. We like our cigars, and we love King Jesus. Mm-hmm. So when we say resistance is futile, because if we, if we remain irrelevant to the culture around us because we hide to our ghettos and do our thing, they're, they're, they, the resistance isn't it's not well, anything. Listen, you, nobody should be more conflicted than an inactive post-millennialist. Mm-hmm. It is not a worldview for lazy people. Yeah. If you really embrace the expectation of gospel victory, then it behooves you to get your hands dirty, jump right. in, start doing something, working, building something. One of the things I noticed, I've talked with Phil and Kathy Couch about this before, is one of the things I've noticed when I'm in fellowship with other uh, brothers and sisters who identify as being post-millennial, most of our conversation, it always goes back to the kingdom. Whatever it is we're doing, whether it has to do with distilling liquor or what kind of ammo to, to be, we want to try out at the range or uh, what we're doing with our business and what our tax attorney is telling us how to basically, it, it always ends up dovetailing back into discussion as it pertains, as, as those things relate to extending Christ's kingdom. Right. And that's the thing that I love about my post-millennialist brothers and sisters is that they, they have really energized and focused and, and put a fire in my bones to walk with Christ because I want to be a part of his agenda. I want to be a part of what God is doing. That's, that's going to be the most exciting, the most invigorating, the most lasting, the most significant thing I can ever be involved in is what Christ is doing. And... And, and I don't think that Christ is doing much in a lot of these church services. We 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 referred to Isaiah one. The prophet had some pretty strong language. I hate your gatherings. Uh, we should take that seriously. We should we should consider strongly whether or not uh, what we are achieving. Th- that's the confusion of form and function. If, we, if the form does not serve the function, it's a form of irrelevancy. Are you interested in Christian education? Would you like to learn how to be a Christian teacher or how to run your very own Christian school with success? The GCS Apprenticeship Program can help. Learn more on our website at gcsapprenticeship.com. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows. Or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit ReconstructionistRadio.com to volunteer as a narrator 
or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom. As we look at the history of God's continually reforming his bride, continual purification. You know, when Pentecostals get together for worship, they always are trying to, they're always trying to reenact Pentecost. Yeah. And when Presbyterians or Reformed types get together, they're trying to reenact Geneva. And yet that was not the pattern. That's not the eternal pattern. Just like the temple in Jerusalem was not, it was just a copy of the eternal. It was just a a semblance of it. It was just a shadow of the eternal reality. Right. And so I really want, urge my brothers to, listen, I'm not asking you to give up what you love, but I would ask you to extend grace and mercy to others who say, you know, I really think that, that what Geneva and, and what the Puritans and, 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 and how they have, you know, their, the simplicity and the formality and the, all that, of, of, their, of their liturgical services are the necessity of meeting and it looking and feeling a certain way when we do silence and every eye closed and every head bowed and, and, and the distribution of the elements at the Lord's Supper is almost like a thing. It's, it's got all the joy of a funeral service. Yeah. In response to the excesses of papism, in the, you know, in the 16th century and, and, and earlier, I think there was a reason why they had to do what they did, and they they were men of their time and, and their culture and of their training, and they were coming out of a magisterial, you know, abuse. Okay, there was a reason why the, when they practiced their their faith, it looked a certain way, right? Given the time and the technology and all the things that they had that made up who they were. But that was a stepping stone. It was not the end result. God does not want us to go backwards to Geneva. To reenact. He wants us to go forward to the new Jerusalem. Yeah. Build on the foundation. You don't don't lay the foundation and then say, okay, well, we're done. No, you got to put up some walls and throw some paint up and... Yeah. We were talking earlier about post-millennialism. And the thing, you know, frankly, of course, we know there's multiple tenets, at least five. That make up Christian Reconstruction, and we've even, you know, I think what some of us even say if we really were thoughtful about, it, we'd say there's a lot more than five. Right. There's some things like uh, the priesthood of the believer, the duty of private judgment. We would say that abolitionism Abolition. is, is is absolutely a, a tenet, a necessary tenet of, uh, of of Reconstruction, because Reconstruction without application is just what theory. Yeah. More more head knowledge and 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 uh, an abolition of. Not not just abortion, everything that comes from humanism. And, and you know something else? If you, if you don't, uh, if you eat good food but you don't brush your teeth, that food gets in your mouth and it basically creates bad breath, and it begins to create you know decay, mm-hmm. tooth decay. And you can take in good food, good training, good spiritual uh, Gary North Rush Duty information, and if you don't put it, if you don't exercise it and put it to work and all that, it, it basically decays. It becomes pride. Right. Because knowledge turn knowledge unapplied turns into it decays into pride. Stubbornness. Yep. You know? So uh but 
I would say even although we all love, we're all Calvinists and we love uh, the doctrines of grace, to be sure, I would say that if I very seldom, because we know a lot of Reformed brothers, a lot of good Cal, a lot of Calvinist guys are you know John MacArthur five point right plus you know <laughs> Calvinists who dis, who don't re, correctly in our opinion regard the applicability of the law of God, mm-hmm. uh, the the mission of the church, the ex the, the our expectation of victory. Uh, there's a lot of Reformed brothers, Reformed Baptists, Presbyterians, you know, seminary people who are, are certainly Calvinist, right? But they are antagonistic to Reconstruction and theonomy. On the other hand, I know a lot of people who are Armenian, but they they're and they're Pentecostal, but they have an ex. They don't have a problem getting their brain and heart around it, anticipation of gospel victory, because they believe the Holy Spirit's still at work and active in their midst, and, yeah. they, and they believe that Jesus is Lord. They may be inconsistent, but at least, you know, those guys are moving. They're, they're, the real essence of the power is in the Spirit, not in the form. Correct. They've got the Spirit. They don't have the form. They don't even have all the right orthodoxy, but they've got the Spirit, and that's the energy. And so when you tell uh, some of these charismatic brethren, that Jesus, Lord, they say Amen, Hallelujah, and they begin praying in tongues, even right. lift their hands. By the way, I'm not down. I'm not denigrating praying in the Spirit. You, if if Jesus is going to be Lord over all of our culture, all of society, all these institutions, then how is He going to rule? How is He going to govern His society? How does the governor govern? He governs through laws. It's a real simple connecting the dots for them to say that if you're going to be post-millennial, you got to be theonomic. Christian Reconstruction is nothing more than the lordship of Jesus Christ taken to its ultimate, logical, biblical conclusion. Yep. I've always said if, if, if evangelicals today could rewrite the book of Acts, they would have stopped right at to the point before the Holy Spirit fell right because what were the disciples doing they were hanging out they were scared they weren't sure what to do and that's yeah. typically how we function sadly yeah right I, I would say look if, if you are if you are in that and again I don't think we have too many people who are in that evangelical black hole right that are listening to reconstructionist radio or the war room but my question would just be very simply if evangelicalism or American Christianity as it's being practiced today is true, why did God even put the book of Acts in the scripture? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Why, why do we have Acts? Why do we have Judges? <laughs> why do we, why, well, throughout the Pentateuch, I mean. And we're not being, and, and listen, we're not trying to take cheap shots at other godly people men and women and the way you practice your faith we're, we're trying to to spur and to be spurred i think it was spurgeon said disobedience will condemn you to silence less by your talking you awaken your own dead conscience i'm usually talking about the things that i need to hear myself so man when i can be around brothers who talk like i talk who think like i think and even better and are actually doing something i'm constantly provoked i want to be around men who are kingdom builders and doing a better job than I'm doing so that I'll get better at what I'm doing. Yeah. I've always said my best sermons are the ones that have sunk most deep in my heart. Cause it's, I, I'm <laughs> preaching 
to myself. Everybody gets to listen. Well, Spurgeon also <laughs> said, I, I wasn't converted by my own preaching, but I'm often convicted by convicted. it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you, you brought up an interesting point as I think about more this, this weekend, this uh, quarterly gathering. Uh, for me, getting to meet Colin Gunn and his family, what a blessing. Uh, so there was, there was so much edification because no one walked in these doors and said, you know, here I'm here. Everyone, listen to me. Yeah. They came as servants. Yeah, yeah. And and that's it. Brings tears to my eyes because this is this is far greater than any of us. And and one thing we didn't say, we didn't get it on. I don't I don't know if we if we got it on a uh, on on did recorded, but I'll say it now. If it didn't get said somewhere else, is that if our late night fellowship between the brothers were out. I mean, I'll be honest. We we were cele- we were uh, celebrating our, our liberty in Christ. Nobody was uh, intoxicated to be profane or rude. Everybody, all the conversation was consistently about Christ and His kingdom. Oftentimes, our cigar smoking and our bourbon drinking was interrupted by spontaneous prayer. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, kids coming in and out. Exactly, and, and, and I would say that if some, and I think I said it, I said if somebody looked at us, if somebody had there was a surveillance camera, yeah. and uh, and Shane Dodson or one of the or or, or, J, or James White or or J D Hall was spying on our Christian liberty, as Paul was talking about, you know, went into the bathhouse to see whether or not they're circumcised. Uh, you know, uh, that's that's a that's an icky thought. But anyway, if if these if if, if other men. Would to look at our our behavior, and you call that fellowship that looks like a bunch of drunkards and smokers. I don't believe that Christ was dishonored. The Holy Spirit doesn't leave the room when you start drinking. By the way, right? Yeah, he's not he's not allergic to alcohol or tobacco. In fact, he created both of them. <laughs> uh, the The point is, is they would think they would swear that by their understanding, we're antinomian. You guys are a bunch of libertine fleshly, you know, worldlings, you know. <laughs> I'd say, no, we're theonomous. I, I referred to another word earlier, regulative principle of worship. Right. Yeah. I tend to be inclusive. I tend to say that we're free to do whatever God's not forbidden. Yeah. But we always must be ruled by the Spirit, and while all things are lawful, not all things are profitable, and I'm not going to be ruled by anything. Right. That's why it's called the law of liberty. It is the law of liberty. And so as theonomists... We were we we enjoy our liberty, and it's not a restrictive uh, box that we're in. You know, not everybody at the table was smoking. Not everybody at that table was drinking. You know, people do what they are. As we want to present Christianity that's appealing to the world. Now, don't get me wrong. Anytime you're speaking the truth, you're going to be offensive to people yeah. who hate God and who are not who don't have ears to hear, who God's not working in their heart and, 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 and drawing them, opening them up. But so there is a point which we will, as Christians, if we're faithful to the word of God, we are always going to be offensive to the world system. That doesn't mean we ought to be offensive to people in the world. There'll be people who are of the world who will be offended by the gospel, but our lifestyles, what we bring to the table, the way we live, the way we conduct our businesses, the way we our family looks when we go, the way we do everything, there ought to be an element 
a, a excellence, a winsomeness, an attractiveness to that. Mm-hmm. The sweet savor of the aroma of Christ yes. yeah. that's on us Not an aroma as his death. people. I think most people you talk to, you engage people at a truck stop, you engage people at a convenience store or anywhere else, you say, or your neighbor over the back fence, uh, you know, man, this problem, that problem, this problem, it may be a problem with Washington, may be a problem with state government, may be a problem with the economy, may be a problem, whatever it may be. Whatever the tabloid news story there is, they, do you think God's has, word has anything to say about this? Mm. We see these news reports of some tragedy or some abomination. Do you think, what is God's law? Do you think that God's word has any solution for this problem? See, the idea is, is that you begin to use the wickedness, the evil, the challenges, the troubles, the dilemmas that people face as the segue to bring the gospel into their life. That God, you know what? That's so, that's so tragic that you're going through that. You know, I was just reading in scripture today. He was, God's word was, God was talking precisely about that sort of thing. Oh, really? Yeah. He, God's word's got something to say about the things I'm concerned about. Imagine that. Because we often bait and switch people when really we are problem solvers, right? We are, we have solutions. We have kingdom principles and we're trying to take it out there that, that's why the beautiful <laughs> go to the abortion clinic evangelism there street on the streets wherever we're problem solvers and it and, and so we have to the bait and switch thing you know that that's not going to get get you a hearing yeah and, and you know and, and and i don't know if this impacts street preaching i think you know when you've got uh, at the at the at the edge of the death pit you know, uh, you your job there is to interpose, not necessarily to try to commiserate with what they're going through. <laughs> but there is another sense, yeah. and this is a dialectic. On one hand, we're supposed to be instant, seasoned, bold as a lion, proclaiming, speaking the truth in love. On the other hand, and I think it goes hand in hand, it's a tension, is that don't talk until you've listened. Yeah. Listen to people, find out where... They're hurting what the issue is and then surgically, strategically apply the truth of God to that problem. And that's how you begin to build a hearing. You, yeah. you establish a beachhead in that person's life. Yeah, absolutely. If a person is hungry and they're lost, what comes first? You know, the sandwich or the scripture? Yeah. <laughs> You know, buy the guy a burger and fries and then you can share the gospel go to him and you've got a captive audience. Right. You yeah. don't say, "Hey, listen. If I'll, 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 I'll buy you lunch if you listen to a ten-minute gospel presentation." That's the, you know, that's which, the bait and switch. <laughs> you know, so I would say, you yeah. know, meet the needs. Sunday at Elijah says, "You want to have an impact. You want to influence culture. Find a need, meet it." And there, it's it's everywhere. If, and, we, and, if we have eyes to see. Now, it. interestingly enough, people's felt need won't always be the real need. Mm-hmm. It's just the fruit of the real need. It's right. the ramification. It's the fallout from what they really need. You know, the reason why you got this problem in your community is because you got a, a, a spiritual black hole in your community, or you've got, you know, and 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 for some of those people who are more uh, charismatically inclined, you may actually even have spiritual binding and and and, and strongholds in a community. The, right. the root is. Humanism and man's autonomy and rebellion against God and abortion, pornography, child molestation, statism, uh, uh, statism uh, all varieties of sexual impurity 
injustice uh, is all the fruit uh, off yeah. of that same tree. Yeah. So, uh, and, and our evangelism, because we, we, we think evangelism is that the work of regeneration almost. I mean, I think we would admit, we know the scripture that the, the wind blows where it wishes, John 3. So we know that we are, as good Calvinists, we are not the, uh, we don't do the regeneration, the Holy Spirit does. No, we're scattering the seed and the, and the Lord right. blows that seed where it wants. Yeah. Some of it falls on some kind of ground, some of it falls on good ground. And that good, it's good ground because God has already prepared it. Absolutely. It's not good because we showed up. Yeah. But the evangelism it can't be pigeonholed into the bait and switch tactic of let's get you to heaven when you die because we're we're trying to win the whole man. Evangelism is we need to get that guy to obey the Dominion Covenant. That's that's the big picture. Yeah. So that's why systemic issues, uh, statism, welfare state, everything that goes with that becomes the Christian's concern. Well, and you know. For people who say, "Well, you're just trying, you're just you're trying to build a utopia in heaven on earth," well, when we pray the Lord's prayer, we're praying, "Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven." We're praying for a new earth. Yes. We're praying for a new Jerusalem, a yeah, a reconstructed earth. We're basically uh, uh, coming upon the ruins of paradise that was wrecked by sin, and. Christ has come in and, and inaugurated a major uh, remodeling project. Absolutely. Renovating the house. And that verse is one of the most damning verses for contemporary Christians, I, I think. When you, when you think about the implications, not, not thy kingdom go, right? Thy kingdom come. And come where? On earth. How? As it is in heaven. That's post When? Today? This day? <laughs> Now, <laughs> this day, give us this day. He doesn't say give us someday. Right. Or, or next week, maybe, or if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And forgive. And boy, I'll tell you something else. You can't, have you ever, I don't know if you've ever run in a, in a, in a, in a, in a marathon, but if you've ever run in a big group of runners, you don't go too many steps before somebody, you're going to bump in somebody. Right. You see these Tour de France guys, they you know, run, or cars rubbing. They said rubbing is racing, you know, <laughs> uh, in the NASCAR. You are not going to take too many steps uh, in the Christian life working in close proximity to other believers, whether it be on a firing line, be in the trenches, digging a pipeline, whatever you're going to be. You're working in close proximity to people. You're going to jostle each other. You're going to get mud and dirt on one another. And forgiveness is as much a daily tool of dominion yeah. as knowing your Bible. Yeah, absolutely. And boy, have we seen that recently. If, you're not, if you want to get good at working with Christians and extending Christ's kingdom, you better get real good at forgiving people. Yeah. What is forgiveness? It's, That's it's, probably a big thing about in marriage too, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Keep short accounts. The glory of a man overlooking offense. Forgiveness is a discharge of debt, right? We can't, we like to pile on the debt. We, that's the opposite of forgiveness. Forgiveness is saying, no, it's, it's clean. It's gone. Yeah. I wonder if some, you know, and I'm not going to, I'm not going to, 
I'm not going to refer by name to anything, any specific issues, but I'm saying if you, if you were, if we really believe what he said, forgive us as we forgive our tres- those who trespass against us. If that was the standard well, that God, based upon which God forgave us, yeah. we'd get really good at forgiving. Treat, treat us, Lord, the way we, we treat, treat others. others. Who can say that with a clear conscience? And the, I think most people here this weekend could. Yeah, that so. was that was the sweet part about <laughs> it. It was. There was nothing contrived or forced. I didn't sense any. I didn't sense an iota of animosity, self-centeredness, meism. None of that. This was about as yeah. transparent and as just as servant-hearted, pure servant-hearted. Yeah. yeah. Bless. And, and and one of the things uh, this as we're talking about. And we're, and we're just knocking around all a bunch of different topics here. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to check my iPhone, make sure it's still recording, because, you know, this is this is um, reality podcasting. It's the only kind I do. Uh, we're not in a studio. We found a quiet place in this big rambling house. But uh, we talked about uh, some of the brothers came down from, from Dallas. And one of the most off questions we get is, man, where's, where can we find a good Reconstructionist church? I think, you know, I, I keep saying this, if we're going to change, if we're going to change things, if we're going to make, we're going to have a significant change, first of all, we've got to take dominion over the narrative. We've got to take dominion over the language, over the vocabulary. Exactly. I don't like to say, I don't like the terms church. I don't even like the word church. He said, how dare you? Ecclesia. I've said that many times. It's becoming a running joke. I don't like, so I definitely don't like the term, are you going to church tomorrow? Right. I said, no, but I certainly hope I am the church tomorrow. And the next day, and the but next day. we were talking about when you've got a big metroplex, and you know, Christian Reconstruction t- at this time in history um, is we're we're insignificant numerically. Hopefully, we're disproportionately influential, right? In culture, we hope to be, and because we're post millennialists, we, we think our tribe will increase. But when you've got a big metroplex, or you got an area, let's say you're in a, a, virtually a metroplex. I mean, from from Philadelphia through Baltimore to Washington to Richmond, it's almost all one big giant. I mean, you have rural areas, but yeah, very densely populated. Very densely populated. And, and so the question is, is how far can people, with the kind of traffic, and even on Sundays, how far can you go to, quote, unquote, go to church? Is it worth driving two hours to go to a service that only lasts an hour? Right. Well, no, that's four hours on the road back and forth. For And how much good can be imparted to you and your children in an hour, hour and a half, two-hour service. Well, that's depend. I guess it depends on a lot of functions. But so, so when you say, okay, we're going to have a church service, we're going to meet every week, we're going to meet here at our house or at this hotel or we've rented this room or thank, thank the Lord for the Seventh-day Adventists, whatever, <laughs> uh, and we're going to meet in their facilities and so we come once a week. And you really have to, you really, have to really consider, uh, especially our brothers up in Alaska, Right. Uh, can we really afford the money, the time, the disruption to our... We've worked hard all week in our business. We really do need to rest. And it's going to take more out of us to go to church than it's going to put into us. Yeah. You know, and it's it, a zero-sum game. Right. So you said, you know, even if we had this service every week in this big metroplex like Dallas or, or the Baltimore Richmond Belt or Los Angeles where we meet once a week for an hour and a half, two hours... I don't care. People are not going to come from 100 miles away. They're not going to come from 50 miles away. They're, they may not. They may even opt not to come, even if they only live 
15 miles away just because of the congestion and the and the size of their family are 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 are, are medical conditions that are existing they just are the husband comes alone just to make a a showing just so that people don't think that they're backsliding or something right it's just not you know and even the faithful family is going to miss one out of four weeks and it tends to be because you only have an hour and a half together, it tends to be more of a production. And it tends to be more like going to the movies, where you're basically there as furniture, and you're basically there to receive from a pastor who has worked on a, a, a message all week that he's going to deliver it to you. Well, heck, why couldn't you have just record it and you listen to it on sermon audio and, and stayed at home? Rather, what we really experience, and I'm not saying this is, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not slamming, quote-unquote, Sunday services or meeting together, and for those Sabbatarians in the audience, they're going to think I'm just, you know, <laughs> awful. But what we had was literally, we've had, we're still having it to yeah. some extent. And it, we have had literally like being in a church service that has lasted over two days. Yeah. We've, with sang songs. Food, prayer, everything. Yeah. And so I would say that if you're living in a big metroplex, it might, and, and if you want to have a core group that meets every week, wonderful, great. But I would say it's more effective to say we're going to meet once a month, and for that month, we're all going to come to our house and we're going to camp out. We're going to have a sleepover, and you're just going to, and we're going to have food, and we're going to have the kids playing, and we're going to all these things, and we'll have a two day convocation. I can tell you, I, I, I and I don't know if it addressed this in Scottsworthies, but it probably did when the Covenanters back during the killing times in the 1680s. In Scotland, when they met, they couldn't meet every week. First of all, it was illegal to meet. Right, they'd be hunted down by the king's dragoons, and 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 and, and shot, or cut down with, you know, with swords, or hauled off to the prisons. They had to meet way out in the country, and so when they met, they would meet as long as they could before the king's men showed up. They usually had to have armed guards to protect them. But they went out into the country and they celebrated. And these were like love fests. I mean, these people wanted to be together. They were starving for fellowship. You get together once a month and you make that an event. And it's going to go on for two days. People will plan for it. They will anticipate it. And they will uh, make whatever reason. They'll come from further away. They'll come from 100. We've had people come from hundreds of miles to be here this weekend. And not only that, but when you look at the pattern of what does it look like when the ecclesia gathers together in Corinthians, everybody had a psalm, everybody had a praise, everybody had a word, people were able to speak, we had breakout sessions, brothers are praying in the spirit together over here about this, or heads bowed over here in the corner, people are praying, kids are playing, it, it, it literally is more like the image that I see in 1 Corinthians of what it looked like when the when the body got together, right? That look at the think about the church in China right now. They'll gather for hours on end in a cave if necessary. Well, that's not church because you know they don't have they don't have the lights and the sound system, the fog machine, <laughs> right? But your well, point is the the fellowship happens. Uh, how can you possibly get fellow? You mentioned that you drive two hours, sit in a service for an hour. It's passive, right? You're listening. You may sing some of the songs. Maybe some of them you won't because it's a new song. You never heard of it. You're just sitting there receiving it. There's no, how can you possibly fellowship? Well, I, I, I think that there's a lot of Christians, and I would say this includes myself, 
who for a long time thought that the really important activities of the Christian life was praying and studying the Bible and evangelizing. And fellowship was just Christian recreation. Untrue. Right. Fellowship is putting the metal blade against the, 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 the stone and sharpening it. Fellowship is what I would submit that more sharpening for most Christians, even those who are attending a weekly service at their, at their Baptist, Presbyterian, whatever church, someone's got interdenominational, whatever, that there is more edification. And edification doesn't mean making each other happy. Edification means doing each other good. Right. Actually uh, helping us to be better at what we're trying to be good at. Interacting in such a way that we're pointing out each other's sins. Or we're, we're crying with those who cry and we're rejoicing with those who rejoice. Yeah. The edification is the iron sharpening iron. Yeah. It's not just what you do in the foyer on your way out the door after the meat of the word has been served up at the, from the pulpit. Yeah. I would say for most people, there's a lot more good done through the one-on-one small group gathering after, before, at home, than ever gets done as a direct result of what you heard from a from a pulpit. In con- you don't know somebody unless you spend time with people. You don't know what how to allocate. What I want you recognizing the other brother's gifts and his abilities. You know, there's a reason why um, uh, Jason, who, 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 in a manner of speaking, is later to the scene, I guess, maybe. Uh, you, you, really, you really came on the scene here, uh, the scene of the crime, if you will, about, uh, about Austin, Texas, wasn't it? Is that where you really, where was your first real introduction, Jason, to uh, the Reconstructionist radio crowd and our... Well, I, yeah, I wasn't on the Where board. were you mature, You were coming, you were in Collwood. Yeah. So when did, how, how, how did you really make that transition from Collwood Church to where you are now with your... I mean, now you've been friends with Jordan... For a few years now, yeah. But, yeah, how did that happen, and how did you come to be here? I mean, because you've been sort of... Uh, yeah. I, think when, I think when... You know, and Bo is a pretty uh, critical uh, judge of people. I think he tends to sort of... You know, he's kind of battle-hardened streetwise. He kind of tries to measure up a guy and what he's really all about, what makes him tick. And he met you early on. I think he was... He liked you early on. Yeah. Uh, you know, he see. I think he identified authenticity, and that there was some there was some uh, horsepower under the hood when he met you. Not to blow your balloon up or anything, but <laughs> but uh, but uh, yeah. You you kind of came on, and you were, and, and I think everybody sort of extended that hand of fellowship, recognized that you were part of us. You were really one of us. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how did that happen? Exactly? Well, I, I mean, for me, I've I've been reading. And adopting Christian Reconstruction now for uh, seven, eight years, really. So it's 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 fresh for me. I'm not I'm not I'm not in the first first second third wave. I mean I'm 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 downstream a little bit on that. But that was yeah. Austin was when I I came to Austin. I uh, was able to speak, preach. That was in fellowship. So for me, I made a lot of those connections before that on through Facebook with Jordan and, and guys. Because I wasn't on the recon radio board until a little bit after. Well, who, who was the first abolitionist you knew? Um, 
Cal's Astro. Now, Cal's Astro. You admit now, Cal's. Yeah. I don't think he identifies as a reconstructionist per se, does he? I don't think he would. He he's not. He doesn't care about the titles. Yeah, he's. Yeah. But he is a. He is. He's a like. He's doing the work, man. In, in, in abolitionist circles, or in terms of rescue and interposing, yeah. Cal's Astro is like Sergeant Rock from the old Marvel comics. Remember the guy? Yeah. Killed Germans by the hundreds and stacked with his, you know, Thompson submachine gun. You probably I, I know of it. You I, probably don't remember that. Anyway. Well, I met Cal because I, I found a mill in Saginaw, Michigan. We live 45 minutes from there. And one day I said, I'm going. I'm going to show up, and Cal's there. And th- the rest is history. That was, I don't know, three or four years ago. I so think. when you – would you I, – I, we've been saying, we've been saying for a long time, we said it with, with Russell and others, that, that really – and Joe Salant brought this really to sharpest focus is the fact that uh, – when abolitionism got married to reconstructionism philosophically one philosophically another action but when these two when these two things got married together i think something good really good happened to both yeah i think so because Abol- a lot of abolitionists they I, I mentioned some some other others that i know that they didn't really have the reconstructionist worldview if you will they didn't they they understood yeah, Jesus is Lord, abortion is murder, I need to do something about it. Yeah. But they didn't also have some of the tools with it. The covenantal thinking, mm-hmm. post-millennialism. And that's happening. But the same thing for Christian recons, who love reading Rush Dooney, but don't know how to do it. You know, it's, Both you know, were served well. What's funny is that when, 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 when we get together, group, whether it's just two of us or whether it's 20 of us, uh, you know, we can't stay on topic very long because there's so many things we're passionate about, and they all seem to be sort of a, uh, 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 interacted. I mean, you, you know, we don't spend as much time talking about Calvinism because right. we all sort of presume that, uh, although not all abolitionists are, are on board with that. But we're always talking about the kingdom. We're always talking about postmodernism. We're always talking about the law. We're always talking about justice. Mm-hmm. And of course, justice is only defined by God's law. Correct. And then we, and and, and more and more, we can't we can't talk without. Abolitionism uh, and and w- creeping in because it's the low hanging fruit. It's the it's the ninety, it's the nine hundred pound grill in the room. That uh, it's the godlessness. It's the Holocaust that we're living in, and uh, you know we can't we can't if we can talk very long without mentioning the fact that there's children being murdered down the street. There's something wrong with us, right? So so it, it probably sounds like you're listening to a broken record when you're listening to us, <laughs> but. Uh, well, the, the the conversation conversation has been with regard to ecclesiology, even mm-hmm. as we think about what it means to not have a power religion, but a, a service oriented religion. Um, we've always said at Cross and Crown, we don't want elders who think the point of eldership is to get people to submit to them. You know, we want elders who are are humble, who are their hands are dirty, they, they have tools in their hands, and and they're serving. That that's you know the shepherding aspect, but. So the ecclesiology things happen now with Joel's book. Now, so abolitionism, you know, yeah, we want to abolish human abortion, but we, we want to abolish the police state. We want to abolish the the institutional racism and things like that. So you're right. We we do jump around from topic to topic quite often in, the, in these types of things. But, but that's what happens when you start talking kingdom and kingdom principles and we're problem solvers. So we're we're gonna go where the problems are, and we're gonna we're gonna fix it. We're and, gonna... and the kingdom in the kingdom involved, it touches everything. A faith for all of life, Christian reconstruction is not going to be immediately 
apparent and crystal clear to people the first time they hear it. All the pieces won't necessarily fall into place, and it's like you just put on new glasses and everything jumped into focus. Sometimes you acquire it by bits and pieces, and you connect the dots. You don't connect them all at one time. Just hang with us, and hopefully this is instructive and illuminating and in, and inspirational. And we want you to know that um, if you're, I think if you anywhere you find Christian reconstructionists, you're going to find good, uplifting Christian fellowship, and hopefully it will be of the kind that's. That the, that the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace will be as evident as it was here this weekend. And uh, maybe you can take some of these concepts or ideas as you incorporate them into your own, what you're doing there in your locale. What's stopping you from starting a fellowship? I mean, if you don't have a fellowship, start a fellowship wherever you are. Instead of worrying about going to church, start being the church. You think, well, I am not, I'm not good at preaching. Are you good at fellowshipping? Because fellowshipping is at the heart of what the, the body of Christ, the people of God need to be about when they get together. It's sharpening one another, Clean encouraging that. one another, exhorting one another to love and good works. Yeah, yeah. Dude, that's the function, right? Yeah. Function like a Christian. Yeah. And Where, wherever you go. And, I forget who said this, but it's good. It's sage wisdom. I think, you know, you make disciples, you'll get a church, right? You, you making disciples, that's the evangelism, right? Worldview, teaching, training, and righteousness, everything else that goes with that. But if you try to build an institutional church and then make disciples, that would, that's what we've been doing. And what do we have to show for it? Well, we talked about yesterday, you know, what you win them with is what you win them to. Yeah. What you win them with is what you win them to. And if the gospel that you're using to evangelize your neighbors or your children or the lost uh, people at your workplace, if what you're evangelizing them with is is merely a gospel that is intended to get them to heaven, it's going to be harder to get them to upgrade to a gospel of the kingdom. So why not just evangelize them with the gospel of the kingdom? Jason Garwood from Cross and Crown Church. Thanks for joining us here in Waco, and thanks for joining us again on The War Room. Thank you for joining us in The War Room. Please enjoy The Nation's Rage, Psalm 2, By My Soul Among Lions. Why do the nations rage? 